And so uh, as we jump into this uh, final part of this uh, series called Invitation to the Feast, about the different festivals in uh, the nation of Israel, I want to begin just by talking about Christmas break. Now, for those of you that school was long ago, did you look forward to Christmas break? Did any of you look forward to it as much as I did? I mean, first of all, uh, uh, I did not love school as a kid, and school didn't particularly love me. And so just this break of a couple weeks in the middle of the winter away from school, I couldn't wait until Christmas break where I could wake up for a couple weeks and not go to school. So there was that. Bigger than that, I think, was I was obsessed with Christmas presents. And I don't mean giving them. I was obsessed with Christmas presents. And uh, our nearest relatives were about 300 miles away, cousins, grandma and grandpa. And often it would be over Christmas, so we'd be able to hang out with cousins, see grandma and grandpa. So this, this whole thing became this, just this cocktail of uh, Christmas break where there was you know, no school, Christmas Day with Christmas presents, got to see uh, you know, relatives, cousins that were with us, and I just absolutely lived for Christmas break as I pushed through the fall and into winter. And even now, I've got to tell you, even now, that little lull in my calendar that is like between Christmas Day and New Year's Day. I mean, I might do a little work, but it's a different tempo it's a different pace, it's slower, very few meetings. And so I would say I loved Christmas break. I still love Christmas break. It's like the body and the mind need a break in the grind, in the pace. It's like the body and brain need a week that is not like every other week. And uh, something that just fascinates me in this whole conversation about the festivals, the Feast of Israel, is that it was built into their annual routine and their annual rhythm were week-long Breaks. You would, you would start harvest, and then there would be a break. You would end grain harvest, and there would be a break. And then fall harvest would be completed, and there was a break. And it's like our Creator knew that we would need certain weeks in our lives that weren't just like every other week. And so uh, if you were to flip a Bible open to like Leviticus chapter 23, the uh, chapter would begin this way. Moses, Moses is told, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed, what? These are my appointed festivals. These are the festivals you are celebrate throughout the year, most of them week-long festivals. And then uh, in that chapter, Leviticus chapter 23, you would find three of the annual festivals in the cycle of festivals, the spring festivals of Passover and Pentecost, and then the fall harvest festival called uh, Tabernacles. We looked at that last week. The Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Shelters, where it was like a national campout for a week. And so it's like uh, punctuating a year of work. It's like, no, 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 no. Take a week off here. Downtime. No, no. Take a week off here. And then all the harvest is in. Whew, done. Take a week off here. Okay, but Leviticus chapter 23 does not begin with a description of the fest festival of Passover. And Leviticus 23 does not be, it includes it, but does not begin with the description of the festival of Pentecost. 
Leviticus chapter 23 does not begin by describing this feast of shelters, feast of tabernacles, national campout. It doesn't begin with Passover, Pentecost, or tabernacles. Leviticus chapter 23 begins with the weekly feast, something called Sabbath. Leviticus 23, these are the appointed festivals. Festival number one is Sabbath. And it will like occur every single week. A Sabbath rest built into your calendar. It was like a day unlike the other six days of the week. Now, if you're raised in a, a West Michigan uh, culture, often Sabbath uh, is celebrated on Sunday. When a pastor talks about the Sabbath day, often they're talking about Sunday. Jewish culture, Sabbath was Saturday. But it's even more complicated than that because the way we count our days, it's like uh, midnight through the following midnight is one day. They didn't go midnight to midnight. They went sundown one day through sundown the next day. That was the day they marked a day. So when we say that Saturday was their Sabbath, what we really mean is Friday night when the sun went down. That's when Sabbath began and Sabbath would end Saturday again at dusk when the sun set. So it's kind of like this Friday evening through Saturday evening thing. And this, this was for them the weekly feast. What I want to do today is to entice you. I, I would just love to entice you to explore what a rest day built into your calendar could look like. See, many of us, we, many, work Monday through Friday, or schools Monday through Friday, and then you have this thing called the weekend. And in the weekend is a mixture, a blend of shopping, get the oil changed on the car, run to the bank, go to the dry cleaners, get some shopping done. And often when there's just this thing called the weekend, it's this weird concoction where it's part rest and it's, it's like we put down the work to-do list and we pick up another to-do list. What I would like to entice you with is what if you had a day set aside one day a week for no to-do list? Now, Chris and I, uh, we observe Sabbath rest on Friday. I generally speak on Saturday night. I'm, I'm prepping all day Saturday, so I'm ready. Mic up a little after 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And on Sunday, uh, regularly speak to services. And so I'm at, I'm at church a lot on Sunday morning. Would it surprise you if I told you that Saturday and Sunday are not rest days for me? So years and years ago, we carved out Friday as that one day a week where optimally we wake up and we kind of go, today there's nothing we have to do, and there's no place we have to go. Optimally, it is a total day of get to instead of have to. And we've practiced this for years and years, and I'm telling you, I don't think I would have energy and passion in ministry if we hadn't done that back then. So and now I'm older now, right? And so every once in a while, someone will have a conversation with the older pastor, and that's me. 
and they'll go, okay, it, it seems like you've been doing this like almost 40 years with the same church. You still seem to be fond of Jesus, and you don't hate people. How do you do that? And I go, yeah, I still am fond of Jesus, and I love the idea of church with all its complexity, and I still enjoy people. And it's a complex question. It's a complex answer. But part of my answer is almost always our Fridays, that amid the work and the busyness and some pressure and decision-making, it's like one day a week we try to wake up with no to-do list and let God sew back together the frayed, tattered edges of our lives. What I'm saying is this, when you run yourself ragged and it's just go, 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 a week's vacation in January will not be enough to put you back together. What if God built you? What if your creator intended for you to have regularly scheduled rest, a weekly feast that's not about go, 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 it's about stay, stay, stay. My friends, we are obsessed with getting there and we struggle with being there. And so I just wanna entice you. What would, what would it look like to build a rest day into your schedule? For us, it's Friday. For you, it might be Saturday, it might be Sunday. The Jewish Sabbath day, what's adopted as the Christian Sabbath day. But what would it look like? And what I want to do is just expand your imagination as to what this day could look like for you. And I've selected like five different focus points. So like Sabbath focuses on this. Sabbath focuses on this. So five. This is not inclusive or exhaustive, but I really hope it's super helpful. If, if you wanted to concoct such a day, what might it look like? And I think these five focus points help answer that question. So five focus points. Focus point number one. Are you ready? Your enthusiasm is overwhelming. Uh, hold, hold, save, conserve your energy. All right. Uh, focus point number one, focus on food. There's a focus on food. How many of you, this sermon just got interesting. There's a focus on food. There's a focus on food. So uh, Sabbath day, Jewish household, by the time you get to the time of Jesus, uh, the uh, sun is setting. Literally, someone in your town would blast on this trumpet like a, a ram's horn marking that Sabbath was beginning, and often one of the first things that you would do was light the Sabbath, light the Sabbath candle. Marking, work done, Sabbath day has just started, and this would be on Friday evening. And then, if you could afford kind of specialty food items, you would reserve those for this day. If you had even the ability to bump up the quality a little bit, often those food items were reserved for this Friday night Sabbath meal or meal that would be consumed on Saturday. Because we know something, right? Special days call for special foods. Special days call for special foods. Uh, often Thanksgiving, a traditional, not that everybody does this, but traditional Thanksgiving, it might be the one time a year someone actually bakes a turkey or attempts to bake a turkey, right? Uh, and uh, often a stuffing, uh, sometimes a pumpkin, pumpkin pie. It, it, it's just kind of like Thanksgiving dinner is often a, a feast because special days call for special foods. It's not just big things like Thanksgiving. Someone's uh, a birthday, often with birthday, there is a birthday, 
a birthday cake, you know, sometimes uh, with, with, with candles. Happy birthday to you. Uh, special days call for special uh, foods. Uh, Easter. Many people are in the habit of baking ham on Easter. I don't know how this happened. In honor of Jesus' resurrection, let's all eat something that he never ate in his life because pork was prohibited. I don't, know how, I don't know how this happens, but, you know, uh, a store like Honey Baked Ham, the week of Easter, there can be a line that goes, you know, down the sidewalk and around the building. Fourth uh, of July. Some of you are in the habit of you know, grilling every year on Fourth of July. It's just kind of like, no, no, Fourth of July, it's a separate day. It's a different day. Special days call for special foods. Now, the, the interesting thing to me about this is that people do this routinely without even knowing it's connected to the concept of Sabbath. I mean, check in on this family. They got two grade school kids, and every single Friday night, Friday night, declared by this family, is pizza and movie night. Pizza and movie night. It's kind of like the school week has come to an end. The uh, bedtime gets pushed back a little bit because the next morning, Saturday morning, the, you know, no one has to get up, you know, rushed off to school or rushed off to work. And somehow, Friday night for this, this little family has become pizza and movie night. And, and often the next morning, you would find somewhere a dad standing at his stove flipping pancakes, and on Saturday morning, he turns into pancake dad. Now, he didn't do that on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, or Wednesday morning, but it's like everything has slowed down. It's a day where people don't have to rush off. And so, you know, one kid's over doing something, one kid's over playing video games, and dad, you know, a podcast is playing in the background, there's some music, and he's just there flipping pancakes, and it is at a leisurely pace. Uh, it's amazing to me how many friends we have that make it a habit of going out to breakfast on Saturday morning. Maybe they don't go out to breakfast on Wednesday morning, but Saturday morning is just, it's just slower. Now, I'm not saying they do this for religious reasons. Totally non-religious people have adopted this where they get a sense of we're at the weekend and things can slow down and we can take time with certain foods that we don't have time for. I mean, I'm not saying in honor of Sabbath, to keep it holy, we shall go to Wolfgang's on Saturday morning and order jets on Friday night. I'm not saying they connect it with Sabbath, but there is a hint of Sabbath rest embedded in how our eating habits can change going into the weekend when particularly things slow down and there's not a rush to be somewhere. So we were raised in a bunch of different backgrounds, but I'm just curious. Show of hands here and at our campuses as well. How many of you were raised in a background where Sunday dinner was a big Deal, almost like a mini feast. Can I see your hands? Okay, whole, whole bunch of you. It might have been like roast beef, you know, potatoes, carrots, uh, dinner rolls, almost like a mini Thanksgiving. And I think part of this honors the concept of special day, special food. Now, some of you are going like, Jeff, come on. I, I live in a residence hall, and there's no kitchen. I, what if in that block of time that you set aside in your calendar for rest, I mean, it, I'm just throwing this out there. What if it's as simple as going to a coffee shop or treating yourself to a specialty coffee drink and having a croissant or just some really enjoyable baked item 
and opening a novel or a book that you just enjoy reading that has nothing to do with chemistry or history or accounting, and you just go, in this wedge, I will enjoy this special food and just relax and just step back. Sabbath was about food. It was in that Leviticus 13, uh, 23. These are the festivals. These are the feasts. The very first one was Sabbath. And some of you already caught me on a technicality. You're going like, okay, explain this, Jeff. That massive Sunday dinner blowout. Explain to me how that's a day of rest for the person preparing it. Something that requires washing, a couple hundred dishes, hours of labor, putting everything out. Okay. Word number two. Word number one is food. Word number two is the word simplicity. And if you identify a day of rest in your life and you go, what would such a day look like? My advice to you is keep it simple, keep it simple, keep it simple. Let me show you something that had to do with food prep back in the days of the Bible on the Sabbath day. This is found in the book of Exodus. We read these words. Do not light a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Don't start a fire. Now, for us, you know, we walk up to a stove turn a switch, and either an electric burner or a gas burner comes on. I just want to suggest that back in the day, building a fire took a little bit more work. You had to collect the sticks. You had to get the fire going. No matches. Had to get the fire going. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't bake on the Sabbath day. So, Jeff, explain this. How could they have special food that was cold? Well, two things. Number one, you could cook on Friday right up to the time Sabbath started, which was when the sun went down on Friday night. So for the Friday night Sabbath dinner, it's possible that you've been cooking during the day, had a fire going during the day, but then when you got to dinner and enjoyed the Sabbath dinner, you weren't supposed to relight a fire the next day. So what this meant was Friday night, you would probably have hot food, but on Saturday, the remainder of Sabbath, you would probably have cold food. And you go, that's a bummer. No, it wasn't. Some of the greatest delicacies back in that part of the world were served cold. I have one word for you. Charcuterie. I'm serious. This didn't have to do with cooking up a storm. It had more to do with setting things out. Cheese. Olives pistachios, almonds, honey, figs, pomegranates, Saturday, bread that was made the afternoon before, Saturday could be a feast served cold. Now, those of you that desire to pursue this rest day, this thing, keep it simple, keep it simple, keep it simple, I think is very, very, very powerful. Because it's possible to do something that's really enjoyable and really complicated. And I think what we're supposed to reach for here is something that is highly enjoyable, but not that complicated. And so I've just contrasted two words here. And the words are these. Uh, the two words are enjoyable and easy. Again, back to the charcuterie plate of the old world. Uh, it wasn't cooking up a storm. It was more setting things out. Highly enjoyable. It was highest quality food at the lowest work. 
Some of you have experienced this, but you've never connected it to your Sabbath rest. That is, you've discovered certain menu items. You've discovered certain items where you go, you know something? My family just absolutely loves that. And you won't believe how easy it is to make. Are you with me on this? Some things are great and they're incredibly complicated. Other things are really enjoyable, but they're uncomplicated. They're incredibly easy. My challenge for you is this, in this, keep it simple, keep it simple, keep it simple. Even right now where you're seated, start to create a mental list of optimum enjoyment, minimal preparation. High enjoyment for something that just isn't that much work. This was the essence don't build a fire on the Sabbath. Apparently, they were setting things out rather than attempting to cook, rather than attempting to bake. High enjoyment, low complexity. You might find a sweet spot here where you're entering either, I don't know what it is for you. For us, it's Friday. It might be Sunday. It might be Saturday where you go in and you say, how can I reach for high enjoyment, low complexity? Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Word number two, simplicity. But this simplicity thing didn't just have to do with food. It also had to do with travel. So focus word number three is just the word proximity. Proximity. There was a ban on lengthy travel on the Sabbath. If our world is kind of like, go, 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 the new thing, the, the next thing, the novel thing, let's do something we've never done, let's go over there. It's just kind of like, you know, Sabbath, if, if life yells at you, go, 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 Sabbath whispers to you, stay, stay, stay. So check this out, and this is also from the Old Testament law in Exodus, where we find this instruction, everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day, which was the Sabbath day. Stick close to home. Stick close to home. Now, of course, you know, the rabbis later on began to debate how far is too far. I mean, stay where you are. Like, like how, how you can obviously go next door or down the street. So, so this is what they came up with. Ready? And this is, keep this in mind. You were allowed to travel. Some of you want to take this, write this down. You are allowed to travel 2,000 cubits. Is that helpful? You were allowed to travel 2,000 cubits. A cubit was like the distance between the inside of your elbow and your middle finger. So it was about 18 inches. So 2,000 cubits is like 2,000 short steps. It's like half a mile. Half a mile. And so uh, this worked its way into Jewish vocabulary. So we said, oh, they took a Sabbath day's walk, meaning they walked about half a mile. There's a point where it talks about the disciples of Jesus. They're on the Mount of Olives, and they travel to the city of Jerusalem. It says, oh, they went a Sabbath walk, about a Sabbath walk away. You go, what's a Sabbath walk? And you go, well, that's uh, about half a mile. So think in terms with me here, because you go, dude, I can't even get out of my housing development at half a mile. Right. Think in terms, not in distance, think in terms of time. That is, you can probably walk a mile, I don't know, 20, 22 minutes, something like that. So half a mile in drive time might be 10-minute drive, 20 minutes to walk a mile, so cut that in half, half a mile, like 10-minute drive time. I think you would be amazed at what you can find. Now, if you live truly out in the sticks, 
It's like, dude, no, nothing is within a 10-minute drive. But if you live in the city or if you live in suburban Grand Rapids area, you'd be amazed at what you can find between 5 and 10 miles of your house. It, so think in terms of just around the corner, just down the street. Just around the corner, just down the street. Uh, maybe on a day of Sabbath rest, this means this park that is literally a four-minute drive from your house. A sledding hill that is at a grade school that is seven minutes away. It's just nothing to get there. Uh, you may live in an area where if you actually counted, you would find at least a dozen restaurants within five to ten miles of your home. Maybe, you know, many, many more, you know, depending on what corner of, uh, you know, Kent County uh, you, you live in. Uh, what if this is reaching for a book that's already on your shelf? What if this is reaching for a puzzle that is already hibernating in a cupboard? What if this means a bike trail or hiking trail that is literally four to seven minutes from your doorstep? I th See, this is so important because we're under the illusion that in order to find joy, peace, and rest, it's out there somewhere. I just have to travel far enough to find it. It's out there somewhere. It's something new. It's something novel. It's uh, something, uh, uh, you know, interesting, something out there. And there's just something about Sabbath that says pursue the familiar. Because if you go to a restaurant within five minutes of your house, I'm guessing you've already been there. It's finding rest in the familiar and not finding the rest in the new. This is a challenge for us, my friends, because our culture, we are allergic to boredom. It's kind of like, go, go, go. So, okay, before we exit this point and go to the next point, I just want to recognize a category. A category is things that are interesting and life-giving, but also really tiring and exhausting. What I'm talking about here is a family with three kids that decides to go to Lake Michigan Beach one beautiful day during the summer, but getting those kids corralled and in the car and realizing you forgot the sunscreen, I thought you were supposed to get the sunscreen, stopping for the sunscreen, getting the swimmies, getting an umbrella, getting a cooler, parking the car, getting everybody down to the beach, time at the beach, getting everybody back, wrestling the kids back into car seats and getting home. It can be that this is a fascinating, wonderful, life-giving day that you need two rest days to catch up for, from beach day. Do you understand what I'm saying here? There are things that are really interesting in life that are also exhausting. And so when your life is go, 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 just I want to suggest something here. If you have the luxury of a two-day weekend, I would suggest beach day on Saturday and on Sunday just around the corner, just down the street. Don't make both days of the weekend a day to race. Got to be there. Got to go there. Got to get packed up. Got to get home. Uh, what would it look like to identify one of those days? as a day to chill, a day to idle back, a day to focus on the familiar and not the newest interesting travel and see. Um, so some of you right now, you're just going like, you, you don't get it. Uh, you know, we're just like, go, 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 go. Yeah, I, I do get it. <laughs> and that's why word number four has to do with just stopping. And uh, focus point number four is just stopping. And by the way, the word Sabbath, the Hebrew word Sabbath, Shabbat, means to cease. Shabbat, Sabbath, it means to cease. It means to stop. So it's like, it's like go, go, go. Okay, enough now. Stop. Set it down. Let it go. So it's, it's, it's a beautiful image that uh, 
I just want to kind of act out for you, just hopefully that this will stick in your mind. It comes from Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah is a prophet, hundreds of years before the time of Jesus. Jeremiah delivers this prophecy to the people. This is what the Lord says, be careful not to, what, next three words, be careful not to carry a load on the Sabbath day or bring it through the gates of Jerusalem. And so um, just imagine, uh, you know, firewood, and it's the Sabbath day, and a guy is carrying this out of his house, and he's carrying it across town, or through the gates of Jerusalem. He's probably uh, collected it outside the city gates, out in the farms and the orchards, and now he's carrying it back to his house. And Jeremiah is like, do not carry a load on the Sabbath day. And there are some burdens that we carry through life, and we get to our rest day, and we go, I get to set that burden down today. I get to set that down today. So I love the imagery here of taking a burden off your shoulder and setting it down because some of you coming to your identified day of rest will just need to kind of go to yourself, I need to set that down for the day. My obsession with producing, selling, building, controlling, fixing, and managing, I need to set that down for the day. Six days a week, I produce, I sell, I manage, I fix, I control. I get to my rest day, I take it off my shoulder, and I need to set that down for the day. Digging (laughs) that war of keeping up with email What if there's one day a week where you just go, I I just set that down for the day. Scrolling on your phone, finding the next thing, the new thing, who's doing what, who's where, where am I not, where am I missing out? What if you go, no, 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 on my rest day, I set that down for the day. My race in keeping up with laundry, no, I set that down for the day. If you find shopping fatiguing, I don't mean running into a store to get something, I mean the shopping trip, and you get home and just kind of exhaust you. What if on your designated rest day, you set that, you say, there are six other days to try to get that done, and today isn't one of them. What if you set that down for the day? What if you set down for the day the illusion and the lie that you are only a valuable person if you're producing something, making something, fixing something, or cleaning something? What if you set that down for the day? What if this isn't a day for getting there? What if this is a day for simply being there? Now, of course, this whole deal, do not carry a burden on the Sabbath day, this raised all kinds of problems and issues and challenges for the Jewish people trying to figure out what was legal and what was illegal. In fact, once Jesus got busted for this, Literally, John chapter 7, there is a guy that's like paralyzed. He's beside a pool, and Jesus comes up. He heals the guy, and after he heals the guy of his paralysis, he tells the guy, pick up your mat and walk, and the guy does. Very next thing, religious leaders approach him and say, why are you doing what is illegal on the Sabbath? You're, You're breaking Jeremiah's don't carry a burden, and you're carrying a burden. But it's something Jesus had told him to do. So there's all this, all this conflict about what you could do and what you could do, couldn't do on the Sabbath day. 
In fact, uh, shortly after the time of Jesus, they had constructed 39 categories of work. Because in the Ten Commandments, in six days you shall do your work. But on the Sabbath day, do no work. So what is work? 39 stinking categories of work in each of those have subcategories. What happened by the time you get to the time of Jesus is that the work of trying to figure out what you could and couldn't do turned Sabbath into the most exhausting day of the week instead of a day of rest. And there's still challenges in some cultures about how to observe this. Uh, some years back... I was at a hotel in the city of Jerusalem on Saturday. So imagine a bank of elevators, and I'm on an upper floor. Elevator door opens, and the person on the other side looks in, and they had a one-word question for me. They looked into the open-door elevator, and they went, Shabbat? Meaning Sabbath? And I'm going like, uh, yeah, it's Saturday. And then the elevator door closed. I thought, what was that all about? One bank of elevators was pre-programmed to stop on each and every floor so that when you stepped onto the elevator, if you were observing the Sabbath, you would not have to go through the work of pushing the button to floor nine. The other elevator... You want to go to floor nine, you press floor nine. And so as the elevator door opened and this person looked in and said, Shabbat, they're asking, is this the pre-programmed elevator or the non-pre-programmed elevator? And this could have gone two ways. It's like, there is no way I'm stopping on every single sink and floor or I'm observant. I need it to stop on every floor. And they were asking me which elevator it was. All I'm saying is in some cultures, this is still largely, largely in play. So I think word number five, is really important for us, and it's the word that seems to surface in the way that Jesus handled, you know, like he gets busted, take your mat and walk, and Jesus is criticized for being a Sabbath breaker, and Jesus would say stuff like, the Sabbath day wasn't, we weren't made in order to obey that. The Sabbath day was made for us. It's like God's gift to us. Don't ruin it with all these regulations. So word five is just focus on freedom. Focus on freedom and flexibility. Jesus is involved in about half a dozen heated Sabbath arguments, confrontations uh, in the Gospels, the four biographies on Jesus' life. About half a dozen. In fact, one of the reasons he's going to get killed is because there are people who can't possibly believe that he is really like sent from God, God's messenger, because he doesn't keep Sabbath the way that they do. So just one of those just one of those altercations, which leads us to the word freedom, freedom and flexibility. Freedom and flexibility as opposed to rigid rules that drive out the enjoyment and the rest of Sabbath. So Jesus is in a synagogue, so it's a, like a small congregation. It's meeting on a Saturday, and he's teaching. He's teaching in the synagogue. And he looks over, and he sees a woman who's hunched over. I don't know whether this is a, a back injury or something like scoliosis, which she may have you know, contracted you know, in like high school, uh, you know, teenage years. And so she, she's bent over, and, and, and Luke tells us that she had been this way 18 years, bent over. 18 years. If this challenge started when she was 12, she's 30 now. 
When you get a condition when you're 12 and you're turning 30, how long has it been this way? You can pretty much go, yeah, my whole life. She was 30 when this happened. She's almost 50 now, and she's bent over. And the beautiful thing is it says that as Jesus is teaching, he sees her. He sees her condition. Something in his heart goes out to her. We read these words in Luke 13. We read, when Jesus saw her, he called her forward. Hey, hey, come on over here. She comes on up. Woman, you are what? Two words. You are what? You are, you're set free from your infirmity. I want to set you free from this condition. And then it's just, the story is so tender. He sees her, he calls her, and then it says, he placed his hands on her, and he heals her, and there in the service, she straightens up. And you think, the place must have gone crazy with joy. My friends, not everyone was happy. <laughs> People were ecstatic, but the synagogue leader begins to scold, and he doesn't scold Jesus. He scolds the crowd. He says, he says, there are six days to do your work. Come for healing on one of those six days and not on the Sabbath. He's really criticizing Jesus for healing someone on the Sabbath, on Saturday. And Jesus looks at him, and Jesus says, you hypocrites. He says, now listen, if you had an, an ox or a donkey in a stall... On Saturday, wouldn't you untie that ox or donkey and lead it out to get some water? If you would untie your ox or donkey on Saturday to take it to water, wouldn't it make sense that our Heavenly Father would want to untie this woman who has been bound in this suffering for 18 years? Jesus, in a culture that was incredibly rigid, he just leaned into freedom and flexibility wouldn't it make sense that God would be at work in this day and that I would be at work on this day? And just a question I want to ask as we land is just, what if our gracious Lord desires to lead you into a season of freedom that you have not known for a long time? What if he wants to free you like Jesus untied that woman from that bent overness for 18 years. What if he wants to free you from a destructive habit that has kept you enslaved for a long, long time? What if he desires to free you from that habit? What if your gracious God wants to free you from the uh, illusion that you are capable of self-salvation? Jesus, no, 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 that's why I came. I am the savior. I am the rescuer. I came because you're incapable of self-rescue. What if he wants to free you from self-salvation and the self-righteousness that comes with it? What if he wants to free you? What if he wants to free you from the lie that you are unwanted and unloved? What if he wants to free you what if he wants to free you from the sense that you are only valuable when you're cleaning, producing, selling, making, controlling, or fixing? 
Would it be saying, no, just be, just be, just be in my presence? What if he wants to free you? What if he wants to free you? In John chapter 8, we find these powerful words that Jesus spoke to his disciples where he says, so if the Son sets you, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If the Son sets you free, you will be really, really free. And he illustrates this by untying this woman who had been bound with this problem for 18 years. If the sun sets you free, you will be, you will be really free. Now listen, as you follow Christ, uh, he will lead you into work. Serving and loving and leading can be exhausting. But he not only leads us into work, he leads us into rest. Work and rest are not enemies, they are dance partners. There is a rhythm of work punctuated by rest. He calls you to work and he calls you to rest. He calls you to rest and he calls you to freedom. He calls you to rest and he calls you to freedom. We can understand why once he looked out at the crowds and he just said, come to me, come to me, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light, and you will find soul rest, deep rest, rest for your soul. All I've been trying to say today is uh, we have an invitation to the feast. It's not just a week here and there. It is a weekly feast of finding joy and peace and rest in God. It's an invitation to the feast. It's an invitation to joy. It's an invitation to peace. It's an invitation to rest. It is an invitation to the freedom that we're only going to find in him. And so once again, we pray, gracious God, thank you, thank you, thank you that we've been in these spaces today to explore your word, to hear from you, to guide our lives. We so desperately need it. Thank you. Thank you for being the creator that calls us to the feast. Once again, we offer our lives to you, asking you to mold us and to shape us and to transform us. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you next weekend.